Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila and I have with me the wonderful Cray Bolger and the wonderful also uh, Michael Pratz. So I don't know if you guys know this, but I love lung ultrasound. So I was super excited to review this study that talks about chest pain and shortness of breath in the emergency department. The article is entitled, Integrating Point-of-Care Ultrasound in the ED Evaluation of Patients Presenting with Chest Pain and Shortness of Breath. And it was published in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine in September or October of 2018. So pretty cool study. Now, as far as the background here, this is something that I think is an important concept, and that is, what do you do? How can ultrasound be used to help you in your differential in patients that present with undifferentiated chest pain and shortness of breath. So what they did here is they had a, it was a prospective observational study of people that presented to their emergency department with chest pain and shortness of breath. So what they did was they had a physician sonographer um, come in and identify patients that had chest pain and shortness of breath. And they asked the treating physician, um, basically if they could be included. Now they had a couple of inclusion exclusion criterias. Um, their inclusion criteria were patients over the age of 18, uh, chief complaint of chest pain and shortness of breath, which I already mentioned, and it had a chest x-ray ordered by the treating physician for clinical reasons. They were excluded if they were transferred from an outside hospital with a known diagnosis. Um, if they were, if the treating physicians were aware of any results of any diagnostic imaging before the data collection, if they were pregnant, or if they were unavailable to complete any portion of the ultrasound examination or unable to provide consent. And as unfortunately happens often with these studies, they were also excluded if they had any clinical instability. When the physician sonographer approached the treating physician to figure out if this was someone that they could include, they had the treating physician give a list of possible diagnoses before the ultrasound and then ask them afterwards if that had actually changed at all. For their ultrasound examination, they did a focus examination of the heart and the lungs. They did at least two out of four views of the heart and they looked at six zones of the lung. For the heart, they were looking for kind of our basic stuff, pericardial effusion, right heart strain, and ejection fraction. And for the lungs, they were looking for the presence or absence of lung sliding, pleural effusion, consolidation, and the presence of beelines. So they did a power analysis, needed 128 patients. Okay, how many patients do you think they got? 128. Oh my gosh. Nailed it. Yep, what are the chances? So they ended up having 128 patients, and these were pretty typical for the patients you see in your emergency department with chest pain and or dyspnea. Mean age 64, 55% male, about the same amount had chest pain or dyspnea or both. And interestingly for this study, about 27% were diagnosed with conditions that the authors thought could feasibly be assessed with point-of-care ultrasound. So primary outcome, how many diagnoses before? Well, prior to ultrasound, the treating physicians had a median of five things on their differential diagnoses. After point-of-care ultrasound, dropped down to three. So I'll take it. For those of you that uh, are not that good at math, that's a reduction of two. Well, that's actually a decrease of like 40% though. Looked at it another way. That's that's higher math. Now, the other thing that they looked at was comparing point-of-care ultrasound to its frenemy, the chest x-ray. 
for all of the diagnoses that are possible to diagnose with point-of-care ultrasound, they compared it to chest x-ray. And so for pneumonia, for example, point-of-care ultrasound had a sensitivity of 89%, chest x-ray sensitivity 38%. Specificity, point-of-care ultrasound 74%, chest x-ray higher specificity 96%. So for all of the other diagnoses, there was really no significant difference between the chest x-ray and the point-of-care ultrasound for sensitivity or specificity. So for pneumothorax, they had 100% accuracy for both of those modalities. Pleural effusion, 100% sensitivity and lower specificity in the 70s or 80s. Pulmonary edema, they were about 80% sensitive and low 90s for specificity. So I have a beef with the fact that they're using chest x-ray as their frenemy, if you will, because I don't know if it's different outside of here, but many of the chest x-rays say uh, peribronchial thickening could be consistent with pulmonary edema versus early infectious process versus anatomic variation correlate clinically. So like, you get points for all those things, right? versus ultrasound, we tend to, like, be a little more definitive unless, um, you know, if there's beelines and they're diffuse, and you have decreased cardiac function, we're going to say beelines most consistent with pulmonary edema. Like, there's a lot less hedging. There's a lot less inclusion. And either way, we know that x-ray performs more poorly than ultrasound in previous studies and that we should probably be comparing our ultrasound to more definitive imaging if we're going to try to prove our point. Right, like comparing it to a CT, right. Yeah, that makes sense. And in this case, I think they, the standard they were comparing both of these modalities to was their diagnoses that were made based on their chart review. And then another kind of along those lines, Cray, one of the beefs that I had too is that I don't, I mean, I'm super stoked about this study, honestly, but um, I, I couldn't find, and maybe you guys found it in there, how often the discharge diagnosis was actually based off of the chest x-ray. Like, I don't know how many people were discharged, how many people were followed up. Um, they use a composite, it seems like a composite outcome for the final diagnosis. But if the patient just got an x-ray, just got an ultrasound, got labs and got discharged, I can almost guarantee that part of that composite discharge diagnosis was based off of the chest x-ray, in which case you can't compare the two because you're using one as the, you know, one, the chest x-ray as part of the gold standard for the ultrasound. And then you're using the chest x-ray as a gold standard for itself, uh, which also doesn't work very well. Yeah, I would say also any follow-up testing doesn't always occur. Like we admit people all the time hoping they'll get a comprehensive echo or some kind of angiography and they just go, well, you got better treating you like this, so it's probably this. And so we don't actually know if the diagnosis is correct on discharge either. The patient just got better or responded as you thought they would, but that doesn't mean that you diagnosed them right. The authors of this paper, in their discussion, they make this claim. In no patients did the chest x-ray provide new or actionable information. <laughs> so they kind of think that it would be a good idea to have an ultrasound first approach for these patients where you do point of care ultrasound of the heart and the lungs and then if you find something you can start acting on it what do you guys think about an ultrasound first approach i love it 
I think that's a good I idea. I think the problem is if you interface with anybody outside of your care team in the ER, that it's going to make people really uncomfortable. We have plenty of studies for things like central lines that show ultrasound alone, not even just ultrasound first, but ultrasound alone is appropriate. But nobody else, it still makes people really cringy and uncomfortable outside of the ED because this is this new magical power that is foreign to everybody else. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's something that, that could change. And dogmalysis. Yeah, it's dogmalysis. And I, I think, uh, Mike, one of the things you were talking about is is this, there's a little stat here. They say an abnormal x-ray associated with normal ultrasound were positive four, five with kind of what you were saying right at the beginning, possible atelectasis, which isn't really a diagnosis that anybody cares about, right? One with a known speculated lesion, one with mild pulmonary edema that needed no treatment. So in none of the cases in which ultrasound was positive, or sorry, ultrasound was normal and x-ray showed an abnormality, was it anything that we actually cared about clinically? And I think that's an important point. Uh, you know, like a, a, a point towards using ultrasound first. I'd be interested to see too. I know they did a little bit more extensive of a lung exam than I typically do. Um, where they found the positive findings, I think we always come back to this. Like we started out with like 16 views for pneumothorax and then we went down to eight and now we're saying four is probably okay. You know, where from a efficiency standpoint, if I ask people to do a six view lung, are they likely to do that versus a four view lung? You know, that's also, if you're using ultrasound in place of x-ray, that's the one benefit x-ray has is you send them away and they come back with an answer versus you at the bedside, um, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but I think we have to be cognizant of workflow in the ED when we're saying ultrasound first. Um, it has to be an efficient exam. It can't be an hour long exam, which I would like to see how long these took with an expert doing them. I mean, I don't know what their like their range was, but the average was 10 minutes for the whole exam. So that's that's a heart exam and a lung exam. Um, and I think that sounds like a long time, but and it, it kind of is. But the way that and I don't know how these guys did it, but the way that I usually do my ultrasounds is I'll do it while I'm talking to the patient. So it might actually take me like one minute longer to do an ultrasound with my history and my regular physical exam than just with the history and physical exam alone. So I kind of put both things together. Um, and 10 minutes in a room, especially if they're kind of sick, um, really isn't that long. Guys, I had a couple other limitations I wanted to bring up briefly. So we talked about how this is a composite diagnosis that they used as their standard and how x-ray or point of care ultrasound may have influenced that diagnosis. We don't really know that, but maybe it would favor chest x-ray for accuracy at least. One of my other con concerns is that we don't really know what is a good number to decrease the differential by. That was one of their main points. Ultrasound really helped decrease the differential, but how much does chest x-ray decrease the differential? You know, how much does like a normal uh, chemistry decrease your differential? It's, I don't understand. I don't think this has been studied enough to really know like what we're shooting for in that in that number. I think when you look at that number, you have to think about what are you losing when you get that reduction. So if ultrasound or chest x-ray decrease your differential and you take away radiation versus you take away a blood test that you're already poking them for anyway. So you're probably looking at cost, radiation, and time. It's not actually the number of differentials that you're taking off your list. It's what those differentials 
um, entail as part of the workup. Great point. Now, another thing was that 68% of patients did not have a specific diagnosis, whether they were considered like atypical chest pain or other unspecified dyspnea. And that's kind of a big chunk of their population. This was partially uh, related to a lot of indeterminate studies that they had with both chest x-ray and point of care ultrasound. And you know, at the end of the day, anyone who works in the emergency department knows that you don't always have the answer for what's going on. Just keep that in mind with when you're talking about the accuracies here that a bunch of them didn't have an answer and we don't know how that would have affected things. As well as not all of the pathologies are represented so you can't hang your hat on saying this is gonna rule out everything you're worried about. So let me summarize the study. This was a prospective study, 128 patients presenting to the emergency department with chest pain or shortness of breath. And what they were looking for was how does this affect your differential diagnosis? And what is the accuracy of point of care ultrasound compared to chest x-ray with the standard of the clinical diagnosis? Their main findings were that point of care ultrasound decreases your median number of diagnoses from five to three, and also that point of care ultrasound is a little more sensitive for pneumonia, less specific for pneumonia, and otherwise it was kind of a wash between the two modalities. So Craig, what do you think we can take home from this study? So I think taking home a POCUS-first approach in your cardiothoracic complaints is probably the biggest takeaway from this. That POCUS can help you guide your workup, guide your management, maybe even put new differentials on the table that you weren't thinking about, but also take some things off that you were thinking about. POCUS versus x-ray, maybe chest x-rays are getting to their final leg, um, and we can start phasing them out when we're comfortable using uh, point of care ultrasound in the cardiothoracic patients, um, because their test characteristics uh, are either similar or ultrasound performs better. Point of care ultrasound may not always give you the diagnosis, but it will help you get to a diagnosis potentially quicker and a more um, targeted approach in your workup. I love it. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. We want to applaud the authors for this great contribution to science. You can always check out more on our podcast at ultrasoundgel.org. Check us out on Facebook or Google Plus or talk to us on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you, and we will talk to you later. More, pressure, more, gel, more, pressure, more, gel, more, pressure, more, gel, more, pressure, more, gel. We'll get you to that ball, Cinderella.